Tonight's story we're calling the Wendyville Murders. It's a very real and ongoing tragic event that happened literally just miles from us here in Lebanon, Missouri. It took place in the summer of 2021. And when Bill and I both heard about it, we commented at the time, and out of respect for the family and the survivors, we wanted to wait to air it on our podcast. It's not for the light of heart, so please be warned. This is the alleged worst of the worst possible outcomes of an abduction of a young woman named Cassidy Rainwater. She was a daughter, a wife, and a mother, but had fallen on some bad luck, causing her to trust some people for help who tragically, appearingly, ended her life. The story is unbelievable in events leading up to, and even during the FBI investigation, near the haunted town of Wendyville, Missouri. Join us tonight on the unbelievable true story still playing out in Wendyville. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So like Eric said there at the beginning, this story is one that we talked about. We absolutely wanted to do. Absolutely. But again, out of respect for the people involved and the fact that it is local and, and you know, this young lady was known to people. And I know a lot of our listeners are local and not all of you. And, and those of you that are listening, you know, far away, you've probably heard of this story, but we wanted to treat it with respect. So understand that there's a lot of conjecture around the story, a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors and, and a lot of a lot of stuff so i think we're gonna address it and i think when we talk about something that's sort of an allegation that may be not true we're gonna reference that but for me personally i remember being texted by my brother and saying hey are you you aware of this stuff going on not too far from where you live my daughter actually in virginia at the time heard about it before i did here well, in missouri like it like I, I texted my brother back and I'm like, you know, it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in your backyard. Yeah. And and I didn't realize, but during this time frame, I was literally driving by this house on a semi-regular basis. I was taking my kids to go swim at the Low Water River down mm-hmm. there. And there's a nice little swimming hole right there, you know, nice and deep. And my wife's not so keen on swimming in rivers, although she grew up poor and she talks about swimming in rivers all the time when she was a kid. <laughs> But yeah, I was She's taking above that now. <laughs> I was taking my kids down there all the time to go swimming in the river, not realizing just how close I was coming to this house. I'm not sure if it's the same access, but we used to take our kids down to. It was actually called Moon Valley. Yeah, and I mean, it's right there at the it's Moon Valley road. road where this has taken place. And yeah, I've had our kids down there multiple times. So you don't realize just how close to home some of these stories are going to hit sometime. Now, as we said, tonight's story is is literally ongoing. It's still yeah. in court. You know, there's, as Bill said, a lot of rumors and stuff going around, but how big is this whole ordeal and who all is really involved? You know, there's been rumors that maybe some prestigious families, uh, maybe from around here or not even around here, that were trying to cover up and, and do some things a little shady to try to keep a lot of this from coming to light. Again, a lot of speculation, a lot of change of venues with the two gentlemen that's been arrested. You know, the community around here 
as well as the family, they deserve to know the truth. They deserve justice. Regardless of whatever else, I think what's what we're definitely going to come to agreement on is in America, you know, you're you're innocent until presumed guilty. But these are two very bad individuals. I would agree with that. And and justice needs to be served. And again, I'm not here to do a, a criminal justice podcast. I'm here to, to do our podcast where we tell interesting stories. And so I'm allowed to be biased. And I think these are two very, very evil per- people. And, and I hope they get what they deserve when the time comes. Now, who we're talking about, there's three major characters in tonight's story. There's a, a James D. Phelps. Uh, then there is his, I guess you would say, accomplished partner in crime, a Timothy L. Norton, an over-the-road truck driver. And then, of course, Cassidy Rainwater, a 33-year-old uh, young woman from the area that uh, was obviously the victim. Me being the history guy, of course, I, I kind of go into a story, you know, a little different than Bill does. And I think that's one reason why it works. You know, Bill does things differently than I do, and I, nobody does things the way I do. I look at the really contemporary weird. story, and, and I look at what makes the story interesting. But I will say, as we do this podcast, and as you've no doubt noticed, Eric is the history guy. <laughs> Eric goes back and he'll look into the history of a thing and he'll go Guilty as charged. back to the beginning of time to, f- to figure out why. And whereas I'm just, again, I, I look at the contemporary aspects and the part that make it a good story because that's what I'm like. And I, then I'm, ironically, I pick on Bill a lot of times for choosing subjects that are really old. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, and that's, well, and again, I think I teased you on the podcast about celebrities about going back to the 80s so, yeah, yeah. or 70s in some cases. And then I talked about Jackie Gleason, so who am I to? No, uh, and, and again, on the episodes where I have touched on the history, I know that you've been kind of amazed, like, oh, you dug into the history of this. I've so. taught him well, <laughs> young Padawan. But but there are plenty of episodes, and this will be one of them, where I, I knew you would do the history part, so I didn't talk about that. So if you want to get into the background a little. Okay, history of the actual site at 386 Moon Valley or Windyville, Missouri. You're going to hear those words kind of used in conjunction. Windyville, Missouri is a small little town. Uh, just off of West 32 on the way to Buffalo is uh, from where we are at here it in Lebanon. Has a reputation for being haunted. A very high reputation a of being school haunted. School of para- Metaphysical. Or metaf- metaphysics or yep. something like that. Yep, College of Metaphysics. Yeah, I had heard my first exposure to Winneville was as a haunted location. Well, the area was founded in the early 1800s, uh, and then there were several children's deaths uh, that first seemed to stain the soil with blood. The children are said to haunt several of the local cemeteries, although the area really did not get a a start to boom until the general store was put in in 1916, finally a post office in 1921. Now, as I was stating, you're going to hear Moon Valley and Windyville were often used in exchange as they are essentially the same area. Moon Valley is just the area closer to the Niangua River, more towards what uh, we know as Bennett Spring. It's State Park trout fishing area. Right. And specifically in reference to the case, Moon Valley is the road the where road. the house yes. is located. Moon Valley Road. And the address in particular we're talking about is 386. Now, as Bill had alluded to, there's the area has quite a reputation of being haunted and paranormal, uh, ranking Missouri, ranking uh, top eight in the United States and Wendyville being one of Missouri's tops out of that. Everything from a river monster uh, to haunted cemeteries, ghosts of a little girl and general store, ghostly children, as I touched upon in the cemeteries, as well as a haunted old cannery in a general store. There's a woman in white that walks along the Niangara River, in particular a bridge. The area is, is known for a lot of also house and arson fires for many decades even today, which will kind of lead into the story. But let us also not forget it is the home of the School of Metaphysics. 
uh, which took place in 1982 when the society purchased 700 acres. And uh, the maps and early uh, preliminary drawings laid out this school around uh, or school complex around a pyramid shape that was in the center of the property. Hmm. But let's focus closer on the exact location. Again, that 386 Moon Valley Road, a place that was brutally ingrained in the nightmares of many. The property where a cabin once set, where Cassidy Rainwater, age 33, was allegedly held in a cage, tortured, and finally butchered, was originally owned by a couple from the Kansas City area. The young couple was Walter and Gaynell Seymour, who were called to serve others at an early age in their marriage. Now, the couple owned and operated what was called Rock Oak Bible Camp Missions. It was uh, on their property at Moon Valley Road as a retreat for families. And uh, it was a much larger parcel of land that included what we now know as the 386 Moon Valley property. Sometime in the mid-1990s, Mrs. Seymour, the daughter of the family previously stated, states that squatters were building on the wrong property and the Seymours even consulted a lawyer about it. But the lawyer told them that the piece of land really wasn't worth what it would take the cost to uh, reflect it in court. And at the time, she remembers it was something like $40,000. In 1995, this parcel of land, now known as 386 Moon Valley, was sold to a Raymond John Warren and Elisa Whitaker by an Edith Franklin for a mere $15,000. This is according to a warranty deed that was on file. Now, Raymond, John Warren, hand-built a new cabin with rough timber milled from the lumber from the adjacent property. Now, if you're familiar with the photos you might see online or the internet during the Cassidy Rainwater case, this is the actual house that is shown. And you can still see some of those kind of squared-off logs in the construction, that old rustic rough log cabin. Now, land to the west, which is 320 Moon Valley Road, belonged to a Margaret Campbell Rainwater and Bill Rainwater Sr. These are Cassidy's grandfather and grandmother. It was land that had been in the Campbell family for generations, according to Seymour's daughter. Margaret Campbell's grandmother, Diane Kofelt, built a structure down on the river that used to be two separate buildings, one being the kitchen and the living area and the other being the bedrooms. When one of the structures burned down, Margaret and Bill put a trailer there and incorporated it with the remaining structure. Now, Bill Rainwater lived on the property until his death. Ironically, I could not find the date exactly of when the grandfather, Bill Rainwater, died. But his house also burned to the ground not long after that time frame, according to a neighbor. Now, Lisa Whitaker died in 2011, and Raymond John Warren and Robin Phelps, James Phelps's sister, had been in a long-term relationship prior to her death last year, according to sources. But now, how does all this fit in with Timothy Leroy Norton and the whole Phelps and Warren? Court records put Timothy Leroy Norton at the 386 Moon Valley Road property in 1992. Could he be the original squatter that Mrs. Seymour's daughter remembers? A 2020 online court record showed that Norton was living in Wright County, He and Phelps both listed the 386 Moon Valley Road as their address in the kidnapping case. Now, Warren Whitaker, Warren and Whitaker, excuse me, who were both charged with poaching in 1997, claimed that address as well. And Phelps first appears in court records by using the address in 2011. There have also been at least three sex offenders, including Eddie Feck, who used the same 386 Moon Valley Road address back in 2008. So we're starting to see kind of a timeline 
and I will say sex offenders and that type of people who were originally squatters on the land, uh, who have now got possession of the land with the way the Missouri courts and everything work and suggestions of a lawyer. So that kind of sets the pace. The property kind of has a, a weird twist of existence becoming, uh, you know, a piece of what was once a, a Bible camp and then squatters moving in, setting up camp and basically getting possession of that and then selling the property off. So now that we've got a little background on the property in question, we have to ask the question, what happened to Casty Rainwater? Now, by all accounts, those that knew Casty said she was a very friendly young woman. She looks like a very friendly woman in the pictures that are online. Mm-hmm. A happy face, you know, look like the kind of person that you'd you'd feel comfortable around. Yeah. So played with a lot of the filters and smiley hearts yeah. and big glasses and now she was initially reported missing on August twenty fifth of two thousand twenty one by a family member who had not heard from her in a while. And at that point the last time anyone had seen her was in July. Now following up on the report of the missing thirty three year old woman Dallas County investigators discovered that James Phelps was the last person to have had any contact with Cassidy. Uh, They went to Phelps and they questioned him. And he said that she had been staying with him at his home on Moon Valley Road, in his words, until she could get back on her feet. And that the last time he had seen her was July 25th, when she left in the middle of the night in a vehicle that had stopped at the end of the driveway. I remember that story. He said basically she ran down the lane and I I think jumped in a dark colored pickup or something like that. Phelps told police that she had told him she was talking about heading to Colorado. So here, you know, Phelps is kind of laying the groundwork for how come no one's seen her and that she's gone, you know, she's, she's left Missouri for Colorado. He showed the deputy around the property, including the loft area where he said that she had been staying. And the deputy reported that the loft looked like it had been somewhat stripped and there were none of Cassidy's personal belongings. I mean, literally like someone was trying to clean a crime scene, I think is the way he described it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing here of any consequence, nothing here to indicate Cassidy had ever been here. But it it seemed unusual to him. It kind of threw up a red flag for him. Now, on September 16th, the FBI received an anonymous tip. This is where it just kind of starts to crack open. Yeah. Now, part of this tip included an image of a woman in a cage on Phelps' property, which, based on her appearance and, and, and... physical characteristics they were able to identify as Cassidy Rainwater. And I believe it was described as partially nude. Yeah, in a partially nude state. Uh, Now, the source did wish to remain anonymous, so no one knows who gave up this evidence, who provided with the the evidence here. And using this evidence, police were able to obtain a search warrant, not only for the property, but also for Phelps' phone, I believe. Now, on Phelps' phone, they found seven photos of Cassidy locked in a cage on, on the property in his home. And so, obviously, like, her final days were probably not comfortable, to say the least. Yeah, not good at all. And I had read possibly rumors that some of these same photos that he had on his phone was also included in the file folder that was sent to the FBI. Well, and allegedly they were found on the dark web on on a website for this kind of content. Yes. Which, you know, the dark web is a whole topic that we could dive into, but obviously... It, it's the part of the internet that normal people aren't going to go to. Yeah, you don't want to go there. This is this is for contracting hitmen and buying illegal drugs and, and it, it, trafficking in, in materials that you don't want. Later on, it was alleged, and I will use that word a lot tonight, Yeah, that some more information from that attachment also mentioned that the men were members of a cannibalistic group or multiple groups, yeah. and that they were offering to sell meat. Now, this this cannibal aspect comes up a lot. I'm going to say that as of right now, there is no 
court record of, of cannibalism. And so I, I say when we talk about the cannibalistic aspects, we have to say alleged. Those things are, there's a lot of folklore and a lot of rumor that surrounds this case, especially locally. It, it, was, it was quite a big deal for our, our community. Yes. So. But a few days later, uh, police began investigating Timothy Norton, who they at that point believed to be Phelps' accomplice. And he had the same registered address, as we talked about a little while ago, as Phelps' home, the Moon Valley Road property. Now, here's a, a quote from police. Norton admitted that after arriving at Phelps' home, he did physically confine Rainwater by holding her down for a substantial period of time for the purpose of facilitating the commission of a felony or inflicting physical injury or to terrorize her. And that, that was, again, my, a sheriff's lieutenant wrote that in the probable cause affidavit. I, that, that's where that came from. Now, adding a bit to that, with the rumors and allegedness, um, at that point, Phelps then took a plastic bag and smothered her, yes. is what is alleged. Yeah. Now, both these men are in their 50s. That I wanted to make a note of that. They're not young guys, but 50s not that old anymore. You know. Thank you, Bill. Well, I'm not that far. I'm, I'm mid-50s. So. Well, you know. You're old, so. <laughs> but I, I'm not that far off anymore. And, 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 but again, these, these, these gentlemen are both in their 50s. Now, they were arrested and charged with Rainwater's kidnapping on September of 2021. And days after Phelps' arrest, Norton confessed to the FBI of his involvement. He told the agents that Phelps had asked him to come over while Rainwater was sleeping. He held her legs while Phelps strangled her with the plastic bag, as you noted. And then they took her outside and bound her to a gantry crane which is commonly used to process wild game. I guess you would use it to dress a deer. Yeah. Is what it's. In the pictures I saw, I've also seen those type of deals used as what they call cherry pickers, like pulling engines out of cars and that kind of stuff. But I will say the pictures I saw were new of a new one. It wasn't like a swing set that had been converted and was all rusty. I mean, it was something these gentlemen or somebody had ordered uh, relatively, you know, a newer state. Phelps immediately began to dismember her, and then later the duo carried her remains into the home and placed them into the bathtub. At at this point, at the point of their arrest, Cassidy's exact location remained unknown at that time. Authorities would later confirm that the remains in the Phelps home did belong to Cassidy Rainwater. Then the duo was, of course, then at that point charged with first-degree murder. Now, court documents reveal, this is is the official record, authorities found remains packaged in a freezer dated 724, which lab testing confirmed were those of Casty Rainwater. So this meat was labeled as if processed and, and, you know, prepped like you would if you were butchering an animal. And I, did you not say that it was DNA tested and found to be Cassidy? Yeah, yeah. it was found to be Cassidy. So we know it was human flesh in yes. the freezer. They also found skeletal remains on the property, which they were able to prove belonged to Cassidy Rainwater. Authorities also allegedly have a series of messages between Phelps and Norton that, indicate they were planning Cassidy's murder on July 24th of 2021. Same time frame. She allegedly ran down the lane in the middle of the night and jumped in a a vehicle and headed to Colorado. Now, as Bill was kind of stating, in mid-September time frame, this massive raid on the property took place involving uh, local Dallas County police, sheriff, Missouri Highway Patrol, FBI agents. They combed the site at this 386 Moon Valley Road. Now, many rumors and questions start to flood the Internet. And in particular, again, this was literally in Bill and I's backyard. So there were many Facebook pages that were already established that were like local community type uh, pages and, you know, information, advertisements for businesses, garage sales, whatever you want to say. Several things begin to kind of come out. And again, I will state 
These are alleged. A lot of these are alleged. However, some of them have started to come to light. There is no court record of any cannibalistic activity in this case. Just that there was DNA tested yeah. frozen meat in the freezer. When you when you search this case online, it is almost always listed under you know, they'll reference Wendyville cannibals. Yes. Now again, there are, there's no court documents that that corroborate that. So first off, one of the things that really started to come out on the internet and in some of these little local Facebook pages was uh, Cassidy Rainwater's mother, a Tracy, and I'm probably going to butcher the last name, but it was Tracy Washock also disappeared in nearby Lebanon, Missouri, right here, our little hometown, in 2007 under mysterious circumstances. Uh, Later, about a year later, her body was found in adjacent uh, field forest area of her boyfriend. Now, the boyfriend had been questioned. He had said she had went out to look for arrowheads and had never been seen that day. So, uh, again, you know, here the mother has mysteriously disappeared. Early on, uh, Cassidy was still not confirmed dead she was disappeared so this was a connection that was immediately made number two gruesome and horrific rumors started to surface that the men were actually cannibals and had butchered cassidy the first story i remember hearing is the one where when the the police came in they kicked in his door yes and phelps was sitting there on the couch eating a sandwich which was alleged to have been human meat. Human meat sandwich. Which he offered the deputies a, a bite of, I guess, and then made jokes about how he had offered served the, the ribs. neighbors ribs, human yes. ribs. Yeah, something about ask the neighbors what they thought of the ribs I cooked yeah. them or something and shared with them. Those were the first stories I remember hearing. Number three was the police visit that Bill had just mentioned. Number four, during a police in- interrogation, James Phelps laughed and stated, well, I'm not the only one eating good. I took some of the human ribs, I cooked over to some neighbors and asked them what they thought, so we also had alleged to that. And number five, this was just a piece of a much larger missing woman sex traffic mutilation ring, including possibly a tie to another episode of the podcast we did, the Springfield 3. Yeah, there's there's photos of the broken down green van on the property. Very similar to the ones that were described in and, that. And, and again, as this story circulated, these were the stories we were hearing and before any official word had come out. Right. And I, I don't know about what you remember hearing, but that was like. Oh, yeah. It was immediately this was, cannibalism. Well, you said was your, cannibals. your brother or whatever, yeah, Texas brother Chainsaw Texas, Massacre yeah. reference. You had the, the cannibal references. You had him serving human meat to other people. You had the reference to the Springfield 3 with the broken down van that they said was the same van that had been sighted. And I will say the site was littered with all kinds of old vehicles. Well, there were multiple vans. On top of that, it was apparently littered with booby traps and and things, too. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to that one. But a recap uh, for those of you who may want to go back and listen. The Springfield 3 podcast we did uh, happened in June of 1992. It was Susie Streeter, Stacy McCall, and Susie's mother, Cheryl Lovett. As Bill had said, to add more to that whole rumor thing, there was actual, and I remember seeing this on the TV, drone footage shared by a local TV news crew uh, in Springfield of the property. Now, again, police are still here. You can see the police tapes around, highway patrol, sheriff, everybody's still out here. But someone had used a drone and literally just kind of went in one night after the police had kind of left and it was right at dusk, so it was a little grainy, but, you know, here's the house, and you can see all the cars. And you could clearly see a van that that matched, for the most part, the description of the Springfield 3. A lot of this material that points towards the cannibalistic activities 
does come from a specific blog and one person is, is a source. Not all of it, mind you, but a lot of it was also rumor and conjecture from locals, you know, that I think kind of blew up. And, and again, as this case unfolds, as these gentlemen go to court and some of this evidence comes to light, there's potential that some of this could be confirmed. Right. But as of right now, none of this cannibalistic aspect, the attachment to the Springfield 3, all of that, this is all conjecture. All, um, as far as I'm concerned, as far as the purposes of what we're doing today, this is all hearsay. And I will say to that point that this is an ongoing investigation. So if some of this is true, and it does go back further. There's a lot of open cases. The Springfield 3 is still an open case. So they're they're not going to say a lot about it if it is or isn't true. Yeah, supposedly these guys, again, according to the rumor, had been involved in this particular trade, butchering, storing, and potentially even selling human meat for quite some time. With Norton being an over-the-road trucker, allegedly he was securing victims yes. and then disposing of remains across the country. Yes. Now... That Allegedly. Story, that story is remarkably similar to an episode of Criminal Minds I saw once. So, again, uh, you know, it's this is all alleged behavior. Now, if it come, turns out to be true, then these guys are, are much worse than what we think of them now. The Cassidy Rainwater case alone, what they did to that poor woman is, is enough for me to say these guys deserve whatever they get. But, you know, if... if any of this other conjecture is true. These guys are, are horrible, horrible human beings. Now, I, I want to be careful how I state the next sentence, but if they can prove this goes back, it would give a lot of families a lot of peace to know maybe what happened because allegedly there have been a lot of Missouri, uh, local Illinois, kind of tri-state area women that have gone missing that kind of fit this same age profile and such. If it is true, maybe the only good outcome could be some rest and peace for the families. Yeah, We'd I'm, like to think no one could possibly do this, but yeah, it's not looking that way. I mean, hopefully, yeah. Again, I, I would hope that those families could find closure. I'm not saying hopefully. What's done, unfortunately, is done. Yeah, if we could it, get it is what any it is. type of, of you know, closure. And, and if some of this, if, if there can be some closure here, then that's a good thing, but. Again, this is all, a lot of this is conjecture and rumor and, and speculation. Now, on October 4th, 2021, the case gets a huge curveball that literally no one could believe. Shortly after the majority of the police, Highway Patrol, and FBI are wrapping up their investigations at the house. And supposedly, at this point, all evidence had been collected. Suppos supposedly. The house mysteriously burst into flames and burns to the ground, destroying what some speculate was part of a cover-up, lending credence that this may just be the tip of the iceberg. When I found out that the property had burned, my first instinct was to say, okay, somebody's covering something up. Yes. There's more evidence here. There's something there. I don't think there. anybody that could be following the story and that happened, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm going to say on the FBI's court, because they're still here. To your point, weeks had passed, so surely to goodness they had gotten. You would think. Most of the evidence, if not all the evidence. Again, but. the burning of a crime scene. and, and it, How does that and happen? Mind you, this, isn't, this wasn't just a small fire. Like, the entire property burned. It was like it was rigged to burn. Well, the official statement says that the Springfield Fire Department had been contacted and the bomb squad had been dispatched after the police had found an incendiary device on the property attached to a trip wire. Now, sources say they de detonated the explosive device, which started the blaze. The chain of events. But yeah. my understanding... And mind you, 
This is the official statement. I thought that this property caught fire overnight. It was in the evening. And so, and it burned throughout the entire night. Yeah. And Where I remember people. Fire department. Where was, I mean. I remember people talking about going by and looking at it and, and uh, a young lady I work with was even, like she was like, I was going to go out there, but then I didn't know if I wanted to go out. You know, it was that kind of. This was such a big deal in the area. And again, we have. Well, again, it it aired on some of the local Springfield news. And yeah, they're videotaping the house burning. Yeah. There were cop cars. Yeah. Sheriff, highway were, patrol cars parked on the road. But there wasn't any fire. So it's like, what What yeah. gives? You said that there was a potential attachment to local families of, of a power. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't want to incriminate myself on anything here. Uh-oh. I, I've heard that local politics are not exactly on the up and up. What? Politics? Oh, uh, you said local politics, local politics not well, on the up and up. Politics oh. in general. Let's oh, be okay. But that there are some important families and, and that this area, Lebanon specifically, prides itself on being a family-friendly environment and there are certain things we just don't tolerate and blah, 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 blah. Now, if you're street level and you're, you're, you're out there, you know. Nose to the grindstone kind of. Th- this town has its issues, let's yeah. be honest. Definitely. But if you were going to try to cover up a crime, I would think burning all the evidence would be a good start. It's a great start. Now, again, this is all conjecture. This is just, that was my thought when I initially heard it. There was more to this case that we're never going to know. And and there may be, there may be more to this that we'll never know now. Now, I will say, again, because this was right here in our backyard, we were following this as closely as we could. And I will say it was very easy to go down the rabbit hole. A lot of people were throwing out a lot of speculations, just pure rumors, some outright, you know, sounds like lies. But there was some posts made supposedly by individuals that were on the sheriff's department. And those people, if you do a little bit of research, have been let go or there was retaliation. I had heard those stories too. Those posts no longer exist. And, and again, I think some of this is, is part of, I, I don't think everything we've heard is true. Right. Well, I mean, but, just the, the standards of percentiles is, yeah, that's, it's. There, there's just so much rumor and speculation that happened with this. Like you said, we followed it pretty closely. We talked about it on almost a weekly basis mm-hmm. when we were recording. Because I think when this first started, we're like, oh, this, this is something we want to do an episode about. Yeah. But then we. We're like, no, out of respect for the people involved, we want to wait. Well, and the more stuff that just kept snowballing, we're like, what in the world? And I think that was the other thing. We wanted to wait until we got closer to the conclusion of the story before we actually told it. Two posts that were made, I remember in particular, one was allegedly by someone who was, and I hate to tie the sheriff's department or anybody in particular, but somebody that was there, we'll put it that way, somebody in authority figure that was there posted that this booby trap was at the front door. How do you have a booby trap at the front door when the FBI police sheriff has been <laughs> investigating this place for two weeks and not set the booby trap off? Well, and again, I think at the time my thought was that someone had gone in and Rick, trapped the property later. Yes. I mean, that, that's really the only explanation that well, if makes it was, sense. If it was found at the front door. But again, you know, like. Now, there were several strange things that came out with pictures of the house uh, you can still see online. One thing I thought was odd was the windows had boards nailed across the outside. Like someone had went around to the outside and put like several, like they looked almost like two inch by, well, you know, eight inch wide boards across the again, windows. If you think and, about the activity these guys were involved in, even, even discounting everything else and just focusing solely on Cassidy Rainwater, I can understand wanting to protect your privacy 
and and protect the property. You absolutely would be rigging up traps. You absolutely would be covering up the windows. You know True. what I mean? So True. Now, another Facebook post that was made, and it was actually probably within a week and a half of the uh, the story breaking open that she was missing, and they started looking into the uh, the Windyville area and Moon Valley. Everybody was like, well, where is Cassidy? Where is Cassidy? At this point, she's still missing. They don't know anything particular. There was a post that was kind of anonymous at the time, and they said, prayers with the family, Cassidy's dead. And then, of course, everybody was like, hold on, how do you know that and all this? They came forward and they said, we're actually a family member, and we just had a set down with with the law officials. That post, I could not find again. Well, to be fair, though, what is it, the first 48 or something? If somebody's gone more than 48 hours... I mean, that that's considered missing. Usually the case, unfortunately. Now, rumor mill, we're talking about all this stuff coming to light out on the internet and Facebook pages. And some of it was going national, but a lot of it, I'm telling you, just took place within these little tiny, you know, niche groups. Well, you, had, you had like blog pages and Facebook pages yeah. and things like that. A lot of that was not news. The sheriff of Dallas County. Uh, Scott Rice apparently was told or heard about some of these local Facebook pages. And, and so he decides to to jump in. I believe he did make a couple posts in some of these, but also did a broadcast. He posted on Facebook, and I think he also did like a, a press conference. And, and it was called Addressing Fake News. And, and this is uh, direct quotes. There is a lot of misinformation and rumors regarding the Cassidy Rainwater case being circulated across social media and various news platforms. While I understand the impatience and curiosity of the people, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. It's not a good idea to listen to a crime reporter, blogger, or TikTok videos that's coming from someone sitting in their apartment or their mommy and daddy's basement eating great value cheese puffs and drinking box wine with grand intentions of being a social media superstar. I love that If you're that hanging quote. on every very word that this type of crap is producing, believe it to be fact you're living in a fantasy world. This isn't a TV series or a movie where we all go to a commercial break and have the lab results in 15 minutes. Searching a crime scene for seven days, 24 hours a day, takes that long, 168 hours. 99.99% of what is being posted to the social media is crap, end quote. I loved that. I mean, I, I admire the guy getting out in front of it the way he did and being blunt about it. But I wow, mean, I mean, there is that too. Yeah. But he, I mean, yeah, he was, he was very sharp in his criticisms of what people were following. And, you know, again, the line about eating Cheetos and drinking box wine in your mom's basement. <laughs> I, 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 that's, that's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> now, needless to say, he took a lot of backlash for the way he addressed this. You know, law enforcement officers must play within the rules of the American criminal justice system. Yeah. While the system has its faults, it's still the Absolutely. best that we have in the world, and we are judged by a jury of our peers. But you have to keep in mind, if it's an ongoing investigation and something leaks out or something comes out or the way that they obtain information could lead to a mistrial, then these guys, which I think Bill and I both agree are, are let's just say, sleazy, uh, if these guys get off on a, a mistrial. Yeah, they get off on a technicality. That's not justice. That's, that is crap yeah. right there. But, you know, you, I can understand his frustration, you know, and what he says is, is probably more even than partially true. Number one, like I said, they have to play within this very distinct set of rules for the court. 
And it's not like a TV or movie. I think our society, we've talked about, my gosh, we can just pick up our phone and make our Walmart orders. You know, we're such an impatient society. Something this large takes time, you know. Well, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's what they call the CSI effect. You know, these all these CSI shows where you can enlarge and enhance the picture, which is not how that works at oh, all. I love the ones that's like a Star Trek base and it's projected in midair yeah. and they're and, doing, and yeah. Like you said, lab results <laughs> overnight. When the reality of it is, is a lot of what we call forensic evidence and forensic science is, is not very exact at all. So we have this misconception that we're given that the police are, are incredibly efficient and have all these amazing mm-hmm. technological innovations. But you're talking, you know, what was it Wright County or whatever? They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to have access to a lot of no, this stuff. No, they're going to have the FBI is involved, yeah. but you got to consider the FBI has lots of cases yes. going on. It's and, and, not just it, this one case going on. Well, it's still going to be based somewhat on local resources. And you can't tell me, you know, the local office out of Springfield or whatever is equipped to handle the most intricate of DNA analysis or whatever. Now, as I said, you know, Sheriff Scott Rice took quite a backlash himself. And in the coming months, as many, if not most of the rumor posts, it was dictated back as people continued to lash out to him that you're saying this is false, but now this has become true. One instance is Cassie Rainwater's family did have some form of connections to either the property or James Phelps in one way or another. Two, Cassie Rainwater's mother, Tracy uh, Washasuck, also disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Three, there were actual photos that came to light of Cassidy Rainwater being partially nude, kept in a cage, and some allegedly say was even shared were pictures of them mutilating her as she was hung and butchered. Then it also came out that the police obtained from the cabin's freezer, as Bill had said, confirmed human flesh. Uh, which was dated and labeled. But I think that lends itself to the idea of cannibalism aspect of this case. My thought on that is if you had meat that you wanted to hide, then you hide it. You wouldn't put it in the freezer and label it. No, you you put it in your freezer and you label it as regular meat, right? Like if you had butchered a human body and you wanted to hide Uh, it. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Like you don't want to draw attention to it. You don't put a label on it that says human meat. You know what I mean? Well, one of the other alleged if this story could get any weirder, and again, this is alleged, but on the dark web, as I had mentioned, it is said that these two gentlemen joined several cannibalistic groups, and what is being implied is that they videotaped, shot pictures at least, of you know the capture, the confinement, the butchering, and then for those really sadistic people out there, if you wanted more, more of the story, will even sell you some of the frozen meat. This this is horrid. This is terrible. Okay, I, I understand that I lead somewhat of a sheltered life and that I've never been exposed to some of the horrific realities of, of our world, but why? Why would you do that? Why I would you take no pictures clue. of it? I mean, and then of course, at that the, point, you're not human anymore. The whole question then becomes, and, and the police department has defended this, that they say there is no evidence that at least has come to light to be shared that this was not just the first time these men did this. I'm sorry. Just based on what I'm seeing, you're more than free to disagree, Bill. I don't think this is the first time. Well, they use procedures that would be common in dressing deer, which if you're familiar with our area, it's something that everybody does every year. Yeah. So to say that, you know, the way they did it indicated or whatever. Look, I'm not going to sit here and and say they didn't. I just don't know. 
Well, that's you know a good way I mean? to put like, it. Like, I don't know the whole truth, and maybe there will be more. You know, uh, we were talking with your wife before the start of the podcast and how there's a lot of secrecy around this particular case and a lot of secrecy con- concerning the multiple witnesses, which there shouldn't be multiple witnesses under the circumstances. So who are these people and what did they witness? Right. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I, I know more than I do. One of the gentlemen's, uh, I think it's Phelps, has an ex-wife that uh, is speculated could be a witness just for, you know, understanding the man that, that she lived with for a number of years. Maybe they reached out to these people that have been known to live on the property before. Yeah. Again, I don't know who these witnesses are, and I don't know what they know. Right. So, And we're, we're not supposed to know at yeah, this point and, in time. And I know there's a lot of complaints about how, oh, they're dragging their feet. They're not process Like, from the time you get charged with a crime to the time it actually goes to court, you, you have Years. the right to a speedy trial, but the evidence collection phase can take up to two years, I think. So speedy is a relative term, I think, under and, the circumstances. And obviously, the more complex the case, more time yeah, has to be the given. the more involved it is. So yeah, the, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff. someone coming up and shooting someone with a gun, well, that's obviously- That's, a, that's yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty quick. As a matter of fact, some states actually have laws that- you know, if a case has X number of witnesses to the commission of the crime, you can fast track it. So, yeah, I mean, if you have to look in all the moving pieces and investigate it, and, and what is it, uh, the Norton has recanted now? And yes. he says, you know, he initially confessed to the crime, but now he's saying that, that he wasn't yeah. involved. Norton, and, of course, was the over-the-road truck driver yeah. that stated he, he was called over. He helped confine Cassidy, you know, while uh, Phelps basically strangled her. He He claimed that pretty early on. Almost yeah, to the like point immediately. of, okay, guys, I did this part, but he did yeah. the rest. And now he has recanted. I, I think it, honestly, at one point or another, both men have said they were guilty to some degree and then now have recanted and both are saying not guilty. Well, American legal system being what it was, I know, I know you, you say that it's the greatest in the world. I'm going to argue it depends on how much money you have and, and your, you can tip the scales, your family background, let's say. But, I mean, yeah, you, you live in a situation where you have all this evidence that points to these guys doing something terrible, even if we don't have, like, video evidence of the fact, and, and we may have photographic evidence, we don't know. Yeah. I don't think, like, I don't agree with the ability to say, oh, no, I didn't do it. You know, if you, if you are found covered in blood, you don't get to say, no, nah, I wasn't part of this. You know what I mean? It's, that doesn't work. Well, there was some other information that has come out and the police records do state they are investigating obviously text messages between phelps and norton some of those have leaked out allegedly on i was gonna say that that's an easy to fake it thing. would be very easy to fake uh but yeah, some like, of these just photoshop that just just to add to the story and the cloudiness and murkiness they do kind of show these responses back and forth where it did kind of appear like they were painting the uh the tv series that that bill mentioned he saw csi or criminal intent or something where there was an over-the-road truck driver basically bringing in victims homeless homeless girls troubled teens you know this type of stuff back to a home base Uh, but there was another one that was a little creepier for us here in missouri and it was a conversation allegedly with text messages between the two saying that when uh, Norton returned home, Phelps and him would go to a local Walmart and stake out girls to bring home, I believe was the, the terminology in, in the typing. So again, 
look, if you're going to do it, Walmart's a place to, here's a great anecdote. It wow. just shows you, this is a friend of ours. I'm going to relate this story. And, and if he still listens to the podcast, I hope he forgives me. I, it's always <laughs> made me laugh. But at the same time, it shows me just what you could get away with at the right time of year around here. He had shot a deer. He had gone out for the season. He had got his deer. He had hauled it back. He's covered in blood. When he realizes he doesn't have the bags for packaging the meat, something Uh-oh. like that. He, he's forgotten something. Yeah. Yeah. And so he goes to Walmart and he buys the supplies he's needing. And obviously, you know, the supplies are, it, it's like if you went to Walmart and you bought a, a thing of rope, a butcher knife and a shovel, like there's a red flag there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's covered in blood. He goes out to Walmart real quick to buy these items he needs. He goes to checkout and the guy bringing him up looks at him and goes, oh, did you get a deer? To which he responds, stone-faced, no, and then finishes his purchase and leaves. (laughs) Now, realistically, this young man should have elevated that to some degree, maybe? A a wee bit. Of course. You know, deer season in Missouri, he's probably not the only guy that showed up in the middle of Walmart covered in blood. But under the right circumstances, in in an area like this, yeah, you could well, absolutely get away with to something that like point, that. To that point, you know, Bill, you're still a manager at Emerson. I used to be a manager <laughs> there. I mean, we used to kind of joke amongst management that when deer season happened, that's like a national holiday around yeah. here. People will call oh, yeah. in. Uh, I'm sorry, I ain't gonna be able to make it to work till I get me a deer. I'm out in the woods and my tree stand. You know, I mean, it it's where a my, very serious. Where my brother thing. works, they give you the first day of deer season as a vacation day. I think they did the first week, maybe. But again, like I said, these guys knew what they were doing as far as that was concerned. But, you know, like stocking a Walmart, I mean, I'm sorry, it's, I hate to say it, but if yeah. you stocked a Walmart and but there's some gal who looked like she was in need a, and you offer her a yeah. ride, nobody's going to say anything. I hate to say it, but it's a good source. I yeah, mean, nobody's going to say anything. For hunting. Well, and, and I believe, what is it, Walmart has a policy where, you know, if you need to sleep in your car in their parking lot, you absolutely can. So it's absolute. like if you were going to be hunting for mm-hmm. underprivileged folks, that's your place, man. Yeah. Now, in most recent news, as of January 21st, 2023, James Phelps appeared in court claiming not guilty, and he again asked for a change of venue, which was granted by the judge. He is currently now scheduled for his next court appearance, uh, April 21st of 2023. Now, his partner, Timothy Norton, uh, who also has uh, previously confessed to aiding James Phelps in the confining, as I had stated, of Cassidy Rainwater, uh, as Phelps used a plastic bag and strangled her, now also is changing his story, and he is also pleading not guilty. The two men have been kept apart from one another in different prisons for most of the past year to keep them from collaborating, which I think is you know, a very smart uh, move to keep them from you know, trying to get their stories together straight <laughs> or whatever. So this, this is an ongoing tragedy, regardless of all the facts, of just what we know to be factual. This 33-year-old daughter, mother, wife's life was taken at the very, very least. She was and, and murdered callously, callously in, in horrific fashion by murdered. these two men and, and tortured in the days leading up the to The body it. obviously was mutilated and stored very inappropriately. Uh, bones were found pitched over the fence to a adjacent property that have been confirmed DNA tested. This thing just just reeks to high heaven. It, it's a horrible, horrible story. And again, we have meant no disrespect to any of the family members or anything. 
a lot of people around here are, you know, they're asking, and we've kind of already addressed this. Why is it taking so long? Why now are we not hearing anything? I mean, this is a big story. We should be getting updates. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of the process. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah. Totally understandable. You know, patience is, is a very hard virtue with, with something well, like this. And, and at least one family is going to get closure from this. So, at least one. And, and that's, that's something. Um, like I said, our, our, our process just doesn't work that way sometimes. So, Time for our nightmare headlines, I believe. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, I've been teasing Eric about the headlines. When, when I came up with this idea, I thought we would try to find something sort of recent in the news. He's going to pick on me again, everybody. Yeah. Er- Spoiler Eric, alert. Sometimes Eric is a little more dated than I am. Dated? So, Oof. <laughs> I feel like my <laughs> no, kids no, are not talking to me. Not physically, Eric. <laughs> so we're going to go from alleged cannibals to actual cannibals with my story. Okay. From the Oklahoman, dated October 22nd, 2020. Uh, the headline is, Sheriff. Cannibals lured victim to cabin in Oklahoma woods, performed illegal castration. Oof. This is kind of a... So, so two men were charged in Oklahoma with performing an illegal gender reassignment surgery. Jiminy Christmas. That's not something you want to hear. They got a volunteer who came to Oklahoma. Volunteer. And, and took him to this cabin in the woods where they would go on to keep the body parts in a freezer with the intention of eating them later. Oh. Are we talking testicles as body yeah. parts yeah. that's kind of where i'm so thinking. so okay. mr allen and mr gates were arrested after going to the hospital in McAllister to try to visit the victim of said crime oh my gosh the sheriff told reporters i can't say it's cult activity it is something that we have never in my career run across in this part of the country it is borderline some type of activity <laughs> we know there's a lot of rumors out there but at this time there's no danger to the public now, the 28-year-old victim had flown from Virginia to Dallas, where he was picking up and driven to a cabin in southeast Oklahoma for this surgery. Now, the victim made contact with Allen using a website about castrations and related activity. The website required registration access, and the registration box contains a welcome note that states, Welcome from the Unic Maker and the EM crew. Oh my gosh. The victim said Allen claimed to have 15 years of experience in this particular area and that he videotaped the procedure for his own personal use, and that the victim would not pay a dime for his surgery. So Alan performed the surgery on a covered makeshift table at the at a cabin in the woods, which seems like the worst place to get surgery of any kind. Sounds very sterile. Gates helped by handing over the surgical equipment. The victim was awake for the two-hour surgery oh. after, after being injected in, quote, the needed areas. Oh! After the surgery was over, Alan said he was going to consume the parts. Mm. and laughed and joked about being a cannibal. Uh, He also claimed to have six more clients lined up for this particular procedure. Now, Alan took the victim to the hospital the next day because there was a lot of bleeding, excessive bleeding, after initially telling him he wouldn't take him to the hospital. But he had 15 years experience. Well, he told the guy if he died, he was just going to dump his body in the woods where no one was going to find him. But he later... I'm assuming this guy had no insurance. That's a... (laughs) He later reconsidered, but he told the victim to tell the hospital staff uh, you had done this to yourself. Uh, the victim, of course, told the hospital staff that the two men had done it, and that they tried to get him to participate in cannibalism. Uh, sheriff's investigators became involved at this time, and when they searched the cabin, they found a plastic bag, quote, with what appeared to be testicles, mm. in a deep freeze in a bedroom. In a bedroom? Yeah. 
the not duo. On, not in the kitchen, <laughs> not in the garage, not in the barn, yeah. in the bedroom. So the, these guys face felony counts of conspiracy to commit unlicensed surgery, performing unlicensed surgery, maiming an assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. They also face a misdemeanor count of failure to bury the removed parts and one felony and two misdemeanor drug-related counts with the drugs that were found on the property. Imagine flying cross-country to participate in some... To volunteer for this crap. It's backwoods surgery. Oof. Yeah, that's a... Oof. That's a a hard one to follow, Bill. Yeah, well, I... I found I liked that I found that one while I was researching. So was that under uh, Oklahoma Testicle Festival? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's ugh. Ugh. okay. <clears throat> well, I I also address cannibalism, and you know normally when we hear the word cannibalism, we might think of some faraway jungle tribe, or perhaps you remember our podcast uh, number thirty nine at uh, the Outlaw Pass, or some similar gruesome survival story where there was literally Nothing else to eat but your fellow man. But the very first case documented now, recently confirmed here in the United States, took place in a little early settlement known as Jamestown. Archaeologists in Jamestown, Virginia, have recently uncovered the first physical evidence of cannibalism in one of America's earliest colonies. The cannibalism, they believe, occurred during the winter of 1609 to 1610. Now, here, I'm the history guy, and, of course, Bill's <laughs> going to throw stones because I'm way back there. Well, again, I, <clears throat> I had a different vision for what we were going to do, and you went your own way, so it's all good. The so-called starving time at Jamestown when lean conditions and disease killed off more than 200 settlers. Uh, as of May 2013, all of this is starting to come to light in the archaeologist have uncovered this new information. Now, forensic evidence suggests this young girl that they had found was already dead, that she died most likely of starvation or disease, and was dead before any of the cannibalization started. Now, Jim Horn, vice president of the Research and Historical Interpretation with Colonial Williamsburg, is who I'm quoting on that. Bill Kelso, chief archaeologist to the Jamestown Rediscovery Project, and his colleagues have named the skeleton they found Jane. She was about 14 years old, they say, when she died. Kelso and Horn say the discovery confirms written accounts of cannibalism that were previously seen as a ploy, possibly false news, but just trying to get attention, to receive additional resources from Europe or to stir infighting within the colony. So so they thought fake news. Fake news all the way back then. <laughs> you know, here in America, we must have coined it, I guess. Now... About the physical evidence, Kelso says that on the skeleton there are marks made by different tools such as knives and cleavers. There are hundreds of cut marks, saw marks, along the jaw. Some of them suggest the removal of soft tissue and the brain, Kelso says. We feel the nature of the first cuts on the skull, which were close together, were done to someone who was either unconscious or already dead. Now, to me, this is still amazing that you can take a skeleton from you know, 1609 time frame well, and be able to determine we're, this. We're, we're talking about the whole CSI effect. Yeah, I mean, you can do some amazing things with forensic science, but they don't happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. Now, it underlines the incredible challenges that early colonists faced. Most European colonies failed within a period of six months to a year. Uh, he says, this gives us a vivid impression of the terrible conditions endured by the settlers and their endurance and perseverance. Had Jamestown failed, it's possible that the course of American history would be much different than what it is today. So, I mean, we know there are instances where people have to consume human flesh to survive. I absolutely would never condemn that if you had to do it. 
be honest. Have you ever thought about what human meat would taste like? I have. I have. I don't know that I could engage in it, even I, on a voluntary basis. Yeah, there's there's so many levels on that. It's not, I mean, you're starving, let's say, on the side of a mountain from a plane crash. Yeah. And, and you're the last one and three other passengers are, are sitting there. Would you starve to death or would you consider it? And that's kind of where I, I mean, my thoughts one of start. The, it's one of the big taboos, right? It's one of the things yeah, you just do Yeah, if you do that, do. then what more are you capable of? Well, and, and, you know, with with a podcast like ours, I mean, that's that's how the Wendigo happens, right? Like, you have to resort yeah. to cannibalism. Yeah. Well, so, and for me, again, you know, I was raised quite religious. There's the whole religious oh, yeah, aspect. No, you don't. The, yeah. uh, you know, it's sacrilege. It's It's, it'd be I'd, tough. I'd be, I'd be lying to say I never thought about it, but I don't think I could do it. I mean, again, I guess you, if you're hungry enough, you're going to eat anything, right? You know, to the point where some cannibals serve others food, I have been told that those people thought it tasted very good. But, of course, you don't know what you're eating. Well, folks, bringing it back down, we, we hope that we've brought some understanding and told the tale to the best of our abilities of a, a local tragedy that is still ongoing. And we do hope and pray that the families of those involved, however many there may be, do get to find some closure in all of this turmoil. We thank you for listening to yet another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So I think we start simply with what happened to Cassidy Rainwater. Okay. You know me. I'm a history guy. I got history on the property that kind of sets the stage. Okay. Follow me. <laughs> and my computer just did something weird. Is it dead? I'm plugged in. Is it trying to update? I literally have a black screen. Uh oh. But, oh, there we go. Oh, and as soon as I turned it on, I hit the fire button. So I, <laughs> OMG, Becky. So, um, your lack of electronic finesse has cursed you. Again. Well, come on, computer. Have you noticed your laptops and stuff doing a lot more patches lately? No, but I have mine set up to do it automatically, and usually when I'm not home. So, if it was updating, I wouldn't notice. I think they're definitely hitting us with a lot of patches. <clears throat> All right, we're back in action. I thought that was at least worth a mention, because it also says why Cassidy might have went back to that property. So, you want to jump in? Well, you know, wait till you're done making noise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not that particular noise. But. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love. But we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.